may be seated. And if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah chapter 12, welcome to week 16 of our Ezra Nehemiah series, and we only have one week left after today. So what a journey it has been, but let's go ahead and jump in this morning. So the identity of God's people in the Old Testament was wrapped up in the promises that God had made to them concerning the land and concerning his presence. So God promised that he would be with them in the land and that he would be their God continually. In addition, we know that Jerusalem was the city of the great king. It was the city of God. For its walls to be broken down was more than just a civic issue. For the walls of Jerusalem to be broken down was a reflection of their broken down relationship with their God. As they disobeyed him, as they defamed his name, and they defamed the majesty of God. We know, according to the Old Testament, God, by his power, because of his grace and mercy, created the circumstances that would allow people that had been exiled to Babylon to return to Jerusalem. We're even told in Ezra and Nehemiah that God stirred the hearts of those who would return. So after the temple is rebuilt, that's the book of Ezra, the walls remained in ruin. So the walls remained broken down. The walls had been broken down for well over a century, about 140 years. And now when we get to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, the walls have been rebuilt in 52 days. But follow with me here. These weren't bricklayers. These were novices who joined together in this massive building project that according to one Jewish scholar was not well constructed and had much evidence of hasty work. He says the walls were described as pieced together with large gaps between that were stuffed with smaller rocks and mortar. Meaning, these weren't craftsmen, they weren't masons in, in what they did, but the picture is God held it together. God allowed it to come up. And in fact, think about this. We have spent so much time talking about the walls of Jerusalem, but I don't think we have understood the massive picture of the project that Nehemiah undertook. When I looked and found there was all kind of different differing measurements, but here's the, the main one I found over and over again. It said that the, the length of the walls that, that Nehemiah led the people to build was 2.5 miles in length. The height of the walls went up to from, from 12 foot high up to 40 feet high, and the walls average, the average of the wall was 8.2 feet thick. So this isn't just a small backyard fence that we're talking about. This is a massive wall built around Jerusalem. And this massive wall was completed. So to mark the demonstration of God's grace in their life as a nation, the people gathered together in order to celebrate this wall being built. And what we are going to see in Nehemiah 12 is actually a huge worship service where every single person who attended, kind of like what you're doing right now, but every person who attended was actively involved. You know, unfortunately, we no longer worship like this, where every person is participating, where every person is giving of themselves. Many times we have turned corporate worship into kind of a, a picture of what we do when we go and watch a sporting event. People sit, other people perform, 
Every so often we might cheer and then we go on about our way, but that is not the way it was intended to be. We need to be recalibrated in our worship of God. Worship is the reason we were created. Worship is the reason that we exist. Worship is what the church is called to do. So worship is a good thing. Let me say this. Worship is a great thing, but also hear this. Worship is a community thing. It's what we're called to do together, to make much of him together. I love the words of Pastor John Piper who said this. Nothing makes God more supreme and more central than when a people are utterly persuaded that nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their aching hearts besides God. This conviction breeds a people who passionately long for God on Sunday morning. They're not confused about why they are here. They do not see songs and prayers and sermons as mere traditions or mere duties. They see them as means of getting to God or God getting to them for more of his fullness. And that, granted, that doesn't just happen on Sunday, but something happens when we come together as a people of God. So this morning, we come to another climatic point in the history of Israel in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had got permission to rebuild the walls. He had developed a plan for the construction of the walls. He inspired the people to join him in laboring to build the walls. He overcame opposition, not only internally, but also externally, and he completed the walls. He encouraged, and then he assisted in a national revival that Ezra led. And Nehemiah 11, we're not we skip that chapter because it is basically a reorganization and a repopulation of Jerusalem. So figure we would spare us that. But now is the time to celebrate and sing. There had been ridicule concerning the wall. There had been hardship on the wall. Now there would be rejoicing and worship on the wall. So let's dive into this great and glorious scene and if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Nehemiah 12, beginning at verse 27, through the rest of the chapter. And there will be a lot of names that I can't pronounce, so just go with me. So it says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in, their, in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nitophetites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had been or built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Mishalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zechor, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Malali, Gilali, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, by the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, 
And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above, the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of Hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Miniam, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, Hananiah, with trumpets, and Masiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehonanan, Micaiah, whoo, Elam, Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezariah as the leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, together into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions of the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the amazing declaration of praise that we see here in Nehemiah 12 as the people are rejoicing God in the work that you had called them to, but also the work that they recognized that you had done. And today, show us, God, what you would have us to see. That we would be also, Lord, a people who declare your praise, but not just independently, but also together. That we would understand the individual nature, God, of us working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but also, God, what it means for us. As your word says in Hebrews 10, let us draw near to God. Let us stir up one another. Let us continue to assemble together. So just show us, Father, today what that means in our lives, in the life of this, your church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So what we just read in Nehemiah 12 is basically a kind of sanctified Woodstock in the Old Testament. What I mean by that is a bunch of people coming together. They are singing. They are praising. But they are not doing all the bad things that we think about from Woodstock standpoint. They are doing it unto the Lord. So this is the dedication of and the, the praise of God for the wall that had been built around Jerusalem. Nehemiah, the other officials, they get together with two choirs. They set out uh, from one place. They go on top of the walls. They march around on top of these eight to nine foot wide walls and they are rejoicing they are praising God then at one point they come down from the walls they gather in the middle of the city where the temple was and they complete this worship service of giving praise to God and that's the picture that we just saw which begs the question what does this text teach us today about what it means when we gather together 
What does this teach us about what we do when we gather together in places like this for the sake of his glory, his praise? So that's what we're going to look at today. Three truths that relate to us, but also to God's people then as we gather together. First is this, declare his praise by celebrating the glory of God. So declare his praise by celebrating the glory of God. And the emphasis being this, celebrating celebrating more on that in just a second and for those who walk in and sing songs and you never smile in church this point is for you so as we talked last week the ultimate purpose of what we do when we come together as a people of god is to bring glory to god to celebrate his glory this should be a non-negotiable for the people of god we are here to celebrate the glory of god now, in order for us to get that picture, we have to get ourselves in the mindset of the Jew in this day, in, in Nehemiah's day. We have to remember in that day, there was just one temple. So it wasn't, they went to one temple and they didn't like that temple. They went to another temple and then another temple and they just shopped around for whatever temple they liked and made them feel good. That wasn't it. There was only one temple, only one meeting place where God's glory dwelt, only one place where God's name set, and that was the temple. So if you're going to worship, if you're going to encounter the glory of God, you have to go to the temple, which is why the first thing they rebuilt when they came back from exile was what? The temple. If you're going to meet with God, you have to have a temple. That was a picture of God's glory all throughout the Old Testament. And when it comes time now to celebrate what God has done, what do they do? They don't just come inside the city. No, they take choirs. They say, you go up on this side of the wall. You go up on that side of the wall. Let's walk around remembering what the enemy had said. You'll, even if a fox walks on these walls, they will crumble. Now you have the whole people walking on these walls. And this is a picture of the people of God celebrating what God had done. They were declaring basically only God could do this. Or maybe they were saying this, only God could hold these walls up. Because there's nothing we could have done. Only God could do this. And the question for us is this, why do we gather together in corporate worship? Why do we gather together each week like we do? Now, first of all, it's a command of God, so we can say that. But here's what I also would say. I believe with all my heart, that we gather together because God's glory is worth celebrating. God's glory is worth celebrating. God is worth celebrating. And this text shows us a couple of different ways that we celebrate God. First, we celebrate God by publicly enjoying who he is. So we enjoy God. When we come to verse 27, Nehemiah emphasizes the joy that was all over this celebration. So look at verse 27. You see on the screen, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. So with gladness. So not just to celebrate, but to celebrate gladly. Songs of praise gladly. So Nehemiah is going out of his way to talk about the celebration, the joy that is here in this moment. It's climax in verse 43. You see that on the screen as well. Listen to how many times, or even circle in your Bible, the number of times you see the word rejoiced or joy. Little hint, verse 43, five times. So, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice and great 
with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. So what is Nehemiah trying to get us to understand? Joy was all over this picture. Notice how the last sentence in verse 43 is phrased. It doesn't say that their singing was heard. It says their joy was heard far away. It was an unmistakable sense of joy that they had. They were publicly enjoying who God was and what God had done. You know, brothers and sisters, here, here, let me say this very humbly and very nicely. We need to do a better job of celebrating God publicly. Amen. And the reason I don't think we sometimes do is probably because we're not doing a very good job of celebrating God privately. Amen. If you don't celebrate God privately, you're not going to get much of celebrating God publicly. But when you celebrate God privately, understanding what God has done, it's going to fuel your worship for coming into a place like this. In fact, the German philosopher Nietzsche once said, if the Christians expect me to believe in their Redeemer, they have got to look a lot more redeemed. They've got to look a lot more redeemed. So what, what we are called to do this morning is come and we celebrate the glory of God and we do so with joy in our hearts. There is a phrase that you hear a lot from this pulpit. And it's a true phrase, but sometimes I think... We interpret it wrong. The phrase is this. What we do here is not about us. So it's not about you. When we gather together, it's not about you. It's about him. We say that a lot. And I think it's true, but if we're not careful, we might get the impression that what we do, when we say it's not about us, we, that we get the impression that it's not beneficial for us. Listen, this isn't about us. It's about making much of him. But when we do that, it is absolutely beneficial for us. There is benefit for us and giving God praise, worship, just rejoicing in what he has done. Don't miss the beauty of biblical worship here. Our joy and God's glory meet together in corporate worship. But not only were they enjoying who God was, we celebrate God by thanking him for what he's done. This is what we see in the celebration. No matter what we are doing, thankfulness is not an add-on activity. Look at the thankfulness here in verse 27. They sought the Levites to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving. You get down to verse 31, and it says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Then in verse 30, or excuse me, 40, two choirs gave thanks. Publicly thanking God for what he had done. So when Nehemiah first came to, to Jerusalem, the walls were broken down. They were in shambles. But in Nehemiah 12, everything has changed for the better. Let me say something, brothers and sisters, and please follow with me here because this is good. Isn't it good that we can look back on times in our lives where we were in situations that seemed hopeless, where we felt helpless, where we weren't sure how we were going to make it through? And we look back and we see the faithfulness of God in the middle of all of those circumstances and how good it is for us to then publicly thank God for what he has done for us. Listen, may we never forget 
from where God has brought each of us in this room by his grace and mercy so that we can look back on the trials that we are facing today, the suffering that we're facing in our lives. We might feel like we're in the middle of a valley right now, immersed in it, yet there will be a day where we will be able to look back and see God's goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness every step of the way. And when we do so, that is a call for us to stand up on the walls in our lives that God constructed and give him praise and not stop praising him. Here's the question for us this morning. Do you believe that God can? Do you believe that God can? And then will you trust that God will? You look at things in our lives and it seems like things are broken down. Do we believe that God can restore them and build them up again? Yes, he can. Will we trust that as we work with him that God will? Listen, what an incredible, beautiful picture happening here. We declare his praise by celebrating the glory of God. But then secondly, declare his praise by uniting as the people of God. So we unite together as the people of God. So as you read over this text, there are all kinds of people involved in the worship experience. Everyone is gathered together. Are there individuals mentioned all over Nehemiah 12? Yes, and we can't pronounce most of their names, but they are there. But yet individuals who have come together for a unified celebration. And please hear me. We don't gather to observe worship, we gather to engage in worship. We gather to participate together. That is why we sing together. That is why we study together. That's why we read the word together. That's why we pray together. That's why we participate in the Lord's Supper together. That's why we serve together. And sometimes, even in other contexts, we go to the world together. So we do these things together because we are a community of of faith. In Nehemiah 12, you have different people, different choirs, different instruments that are used, but they all come together for one purpose. The key word here is, is unity. They're unified. And what is it that unifies us as the people of God? Just think about what unified in Nehemiah, the, this, this old covenant people. In Nehemiah 8, 5, it says they were unified by the word of God. In Nehemiah 9, 5, they were unified unified by the vision and remembrance of the greatness of God as well as their confession and asking God to forgive their sins. In Nehemiah 9.17, they were united by the grace of God. In Nehemiah 9.20, they're unified by the spirit of God. So there are, there are so many things that could divide us and maybe, maybe do at times divide us. Yet, according to the word of God, we are to continually put aside our differences even our preferences and we are to focus on the one thing that will guarantee to unite us which is our purpose if you look at the front of your bulletin our purpose we exist to glorify god we focus on that brothers and sisters there's unity there we exist to bring him glory whatever that looks like and this is a great picture them marching around the walls you look back in, on the Old Testament, and there are different places, different times where God would send his people into a land to walk through that land before God would give that to them. 
In Genesis 13, Abraham walked through the promised land. In Joshua 1, Joshua walked through the land that was his by faith. And now here in Nehemiah 12, the people are walking around the walls. And what they're saying is this, God has restored us. He has brought us back. May his name be glorified in this place. And this isn't just about unity of gathering together to worship. There's also unity of praise. Hear this in the middle of spiritual battles that we are called to face. Brothers and sisters, Nehemiah is not just a book of a building without difficulty. It was a people of God coming together, joining together to serve, yet in the midst of being discouraged and spiritual enemies all around. And here's what I want to tell you. We can still praise God even in the midst of the battle. We don't wait to praise God until the battle's over. We praise God in the middle of the battle. If you want me to show you an example, turn to 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20, starting in verse 18. There's a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat who is leading the army of God out to fight the people of Ammon and Moab. And they get word from the prophets of God that they're, they're going to have victory in the battle. So I want you to see what they do. When they get that word, going into battle, so think about this, they're facing battle. So 2 Chronicles 20, verse 18, it says this, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, it says, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Hear this. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for he, his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, hear this. The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. So get what's happening here. Don't miss this picture. The people of Judah go out to battle, and guess who Jehoshaphat sends out first? Not the Marines. Not them. Not the, not the Navy SEALs. Do you see who he sends out first? The choir. He sends the choir out first. Choir, get your robes on. Get ready. You're going first. And out they go. And they go out and they're singing praises to the Lord. And yet it tells us in the middle of their praise, God begins to set ambushes. God begins to rout the enemy. Meaning, brothers and sisters, we don't wait for the battle to be over to praise God. We praise God in the middle of it as God continues to work in and through that battle. That's not just here in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Acts 16, Paul and Silas are arrested. They're beaten. They're thrown in jail at midnight. They're sitting chained in a dark, dingy, filthy prison cell, not knowing what would happen the next morning. Would they be beaten again? Would they be killed yet in this moment at midnight in the middle of this nasty cell what are they doing they're singing praises to god what a weird response 
Who does that? Who does that? Let me tell you who does that. People who know the God that Paul and Silas knew. That's, they do that. And so they, they're singing. And guess what happens? There's an earthquake. And not only do the doors of the prison open, their chains fall off. And it leads to a family coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me stop for just a second. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here, but it's going to be well worth it. Brothers and sisters, there are still contexts around this world where today, right now, brothers and sisters are sitting in prison cells, and they're praising God. They're singing with a smile on their face, and yet we come in here, we sing songs, and we act like we haven't been happy in 15 years. God help us to know who they know. God help us know the God that keeps them rejoicing, even in prison, when oftentimes we refuse to rejoice in the freedom that we have. God, forgive us for being so self-centered. Forgive us for being so negative. Forgive us for being so focused on everything else and not focusing on how good God has been to us. And he is worthy of every drop of breath and praising him that we can muster. God, help us to do that. Help us to give you praise, God, even in prison. Meaning, listen, we praise God. It doesn't mean the chains are going to fall off immediately. But here's what it's going to do. It's going to fortify in our hearts that our God is for us. And if he is for us, nothing can be against us. Forgive me for being excited. Forgive me for being excited about who God is and what God has done. Let's continue to rejoice in him unified together. Listen, we don't have to do it all the same way, but here's what we have to do. We have to make sure we're rejoicing in him. We're rejoicing in him. So we declare his praise by uniting as a people of God. And then lastly, we declare his praise consecrating ourselves to the service of God. So we declare his praise consecrating, setting ourselves apart for the service of God. So finally, Nehemiah 12 shows us that as we worship together, we also give ourselves or we dedicate ourselves to God's service. Look at the verses on the screen. Verses 27. It says, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, and then verse 44 and 45, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God. So from the very beginning of this story is a picture of dedication. They dedicated the walls. Literally, they put the walls into God's hands. They, they basically said, God, this is yours. It rises and falls, God, with you. Now, I want to draw a line here from the Old Testament to the New Testament in just a second. But I want to I think about what we see here. At the end of this chapter, what we see is this. We see sacrifice. And we talked about that last week. We're going to talk about it just for a moment this week, what it means to live in generosity and sacrifice, but then we also see surrender. In fact, look at verse 47. At the end of this chapter, it says this, and all Israel, so pause. Who does all of Israel entail? So all of Israel means all of Israel. Every one of them, all means all. So all of Israel in the days of Zerubbabel, that means 100 years earlier, and in the days of Nehemiah, so both then and now, so it's happening, happened then, it's happening now, all gave, all gave the daily portions for the singers, the gatekeepers, and set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart, so this consecrated, treated as holy, set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. 
So what you have here is the people of God in regard to their giving. They give cheerfully. They give bountifully. They give biblically. We not only see sacrifice, we see surrender. I wish I had more time here to talk about this, but I would encourage every one of us, no matter if you're the oldest person in this room or the youngest person in this room, I encourage you, by God's grace, to prepare yourself to persevere to the very end. Prepare yourself to persevere to the very end. Hebrews 12 says, lay aside every weight, lay aside the sin that hinders you so that you can run with endurance the race that's set before you. And what it means is this, stay focused on your lane. Don't focus, on, if you're in lane one, don't focus on what's happening in lane eight. Run the race that's set before you. Prepare yourself to persevere. Joyfully dedicate your life to the Lord. Commit to a church. Commit your finances. Commit your body and service. Commit your friendships. Commit your decisions. Commit your life to God so that you can enjoy Him for the long run, for the long haul. And this is where we must, we must look at Nehemiah 12 through the lens of the New Testament. And what I mean by that is this. Follow with me here. In the Old Testament system, God's glory dwelt within the temple. Then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes along, and Jesus declares that he himself is now the what? He's the temple. Jesus says, tear it down, and in three days, we'll raise it up. So he is the temple. He is the meeting place now between God and man. Then Jesus dies. He rises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. He sends his spirit to indwell in every true believer. And now we are called, because of the spirits indwelling in us, we are now what? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, we are the dwelling place of God. Therefore, our lives are to be places where people encounter the glory of God. It's crazy to think about, but people should encounter God's glory, God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy in us. That's why we surrender our lives here, because God is sending us out there meaning because all week long god wants to take his glory as our lives into our communities into our workplaces into our homes into our families so people see the goodness and glory of god in and through us corporate worship propels us to go out into the world this is what this is about yeah, here's how I want to end this morning. So I'll say in closing, whatever that means. In closing, I want us to end this morning with a time, you know, our time we have focused on what it means for us to declare his praise. I want to spend time. I have one more slide I want to show you. I want us to declare his praise by examining our hearts. So I want to ask four questions. And I pray that these four questions don't just hover over your head, but these questions go and even into and outworking of your heart number one is the the joy of the lord your strength is the joy of the lord your strength we read that in nehemiah 8 don't be fearful don't be anxious don't give up let the joy of the lord be your strength is that true in our lives if you were to read verse 43 of nehemiah 12 it says this god made them rejoice 
Now, it doesn't mean that God literally took control of their mouths and made them rejoice. What it means is this. God had done so many things that they couldn't help but rejoice. And brothers and sisters, God has done so many things in our lives. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Do you, or do you need to pray as David did today? God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Secondly, are you boldly giving thanks to God? Are you boldly giving thanks to God? I wonder in our lives how often we actually stop to give God our thanks, our praise. Consider the broken areas in your life that have now been restored. So look back and think about things that used to be broken down and are now restored. Here's my question to you. Was your thankfulness over those, that restoration, was your thankfulness, is it greater than the amount of time you spent complaining about the situation? Brothers and sisters, listen. If there is a broken down wall that is now built up in your life by the grace and mercy of God, get on top of that wall by the help of God or by the help of others. We'll help you get up there. And you get up on that wall and you begin to praise God and thank him for what he has done in your life. And people can argue with you as you're standing on top of the wall that used to be in crumbles, but you can say this, I know what it used to be and I know what it is now by the grace of God. Amen. And here I am. Oh, that we would give bold thanks to God for what he has done. Listen, we, are, we live in an age where we move at the speed of light. The problem with moving at the speed of light is we move right past the good things that God does in our lives every single day. Get up on those walls and give praise to him boldly. Then number three, and this is going to sound weird, but just follow with me here. Are you just dating the church or are you living within a unified community? Stop dating the church and get yourself connected. Get yourself plugged in. Join a church. If it's not here, find one that you can go to, but join a church for the sake of living within community. I'm so thankful. Brother Ted and Ms. Nora are here today, and the first thing he said is we found a church home. And as much as I'm like, well, I wish you never left here and it was still here, I'm thankful that they committed themselves to moving to another place, and it's important. It's important to find a place to connect, Amen. to unify ourselves for his praise. And then number four, how are you currently giving yourself for the service of God? How are you currently giving yourself? Will you accept the work before you? And will you trust the work that God wants to do in you? We have, listen, I say it over and over and over again. I'll say it again. If you are here today, if you just took a breath today, God has a reason for it. If you're here today, there's a purpose in that. There's a purpose for your life. There's a reason God has not taken you home yet. Find what that is. Find that purpose. Serve the Lord here. Serve the Lord outside the church. Do things that show people what God has done in your life. Amen. Let's give ourselves to declare his praise. Let's give ourselves to, again, rejoice, celebrate what God has done in our lives. Let's give ourselves as a people to unite ourselves, not and this was, let me say it again. We will never be united by our preferences. We'll never be united by our opinions. Therefore, the world doesn't need more of your opinions. The world needs Jesus. 
So we unite under the banner of Jesus. We don't unite under the banner of our preferences. We don't unite under the banner of uniformity that we all think the same way about every single issue. No, we unite together saying this. We might be different in many different ways, but because of the blood of Jesus, we are one. We are one. He has made us one. And then we serve the Lord. But as we just read at the beginning of this service in Psalm 100, serve the Lord, hear this, with gladness. If you're going to serve the Lord, do it gladly. If you're going to serve the Lord, do it with a smile on your face. If you're going to serve the Lord, do it with joy in your hearts. And if you are serving the Lord and those things are gone, read 1 John because 1 John says this. If you love the Lord, his commands aren't a burden. So when the Lord's commands become a burden, when, his, when your service to the Lord becomes a burden, check your heart. Check your heart. Are you loving the Lord with all your heart like you used to? And let's serve the Lord with gladness. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And God, we celebrate you we celebrate, God, what you have done and, Lord, who you are to us. And, Lord, just as the people of Nehemiah 2,500 years ago, God, we have reason today to rejoice in you, to celebrate, God, to rejoice greatly, to give thanks to you. There are walls even in our lives that used to be crumbled, and by your grace and glory, they have been rebuilt. And, Lord, we need to get back on those walls, and we need to rejoice and praise you, God, for what you've done. Help us not to forget, Lord, the thousands upon ways, God, that you are good to us every day of our lives and the amazing things that you have done in and through our lives. The enemy would have us forget, God. You would have us remember. Help us to remember. Just finish this time. Rejoice our hearts in you, or as David prayed, restore to us the joy of your salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.